Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, glad you guys are here. So pumped to be continuing the series uh, that we kicked off last week called Dating in a Swipe Right Culture. And if you missed last week, I know Mitch already mentioned it, uh, but you need to go catch up on the podcast. Beth kicked off the series, did an incredible job. And in case you missed it, I'm just going to kind of catch you up real quick and just kind of let you know why we're doing this series, why it's called what it's called. Um, we kind of said this last week that um, in our world today, because of technology, because of how connected the world is, right? Um, it's never been easier to find a date. For some of y'all are like, uh, I don't know what world you're living in. Uh, but it's never been easier to connect with people. It's never been easier um, to find a date because of social media and phones and technology and all that. But at the same time, at the same time, it's never been more difficult to date well. It's never been more difficult to have meaningful, lasting relationships. And so we decided, hey, we're going to do this series called Dating in a Swipe Right Culture. And it's really important to pay attention to what culture is teaching you. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But last week, we just kind of talked about four things that our swipe right culture teaches us about relationships and dating and sex and people that we're attracted to and how we view other people. The first thing that a swipe right culture teaches us um, is this idea that it perpetuates an on to the next one kind of attitude. What I mean by that is in a world where there seems to be endless options, you're less likely to fight for that relationship. You're less likely to stay in when things get going because you're already on to the next one. It also, what it does is it intensifies our need for instant gratification, right? Like we already live in this instant world and what we want, we want it now in a swipe right culture intensifies that regardless of, of what it does or who it hurts which leads to the third idea, um, that it teaches us that people are a means to an end, that you want what you want, I want what I want, and it doesn't matter what it does to anybody else as long as I get what I want. And then kind of the last thing that we said, it, it creates this false sense of intimacy between others and us, right? Beth talked about how you ch trade like 1,000 text messages and 3,000 Snapchats, and you think you know their life story, and you've never seen them face to face, right? And then before it's too late, you make decisions that you regret and you realize you really didn't know them at all. It creates this false sense of intimacy. And so we said, hey, no wonder, no wonder it's difficult to date well. But we also said this, that culture, culture isn't necessarily the source of the problem because people create and cultivate culture. People create and cultivate culture. Technology and phones and social media, that's just kind of perpetuated the problem. But this is what we said last week. If you have, want to have any helpful conversation around dating, you've got to start with the source. And the source of the problem is you and me. Because the source in us, the problem in us is that we are all selfish, myself included. And the best way to start a conversation about dating is to start with a conversation about you and about me and having a healthy dose of self-awareness. Don't we hate when someone is just not self-aware? Man, I ride on an airplane enough to know that the per like he doesn't have to breathe that way. You know what I mean? Like, do you not understand what noise you are making with your lungs? That's not normal, you know? But the best way to start a Healthy conversation around dating is to have a level of self-awareness. And we said, and not just, self-awareness won't just help your dating relationships. It'll help all of your relationships, roommates, right? Uh, but we asked you, hey, we, we challenged you to ask this question. What's it like being on the other side of you? Whew, man, that's a good question. What's it like being on the other side of you? And we said the courage to ask that question and the courage to hear the answer has the potential to totally transform the landscape of all your relationships and even more specifically, your dating 
relationships. And so today we continue the conversation of dating in a swipe right culture. And tonight, man, I'm just really excited because tonight specifically I'm talking to the dudes in the room. I'm talking to the fellas in the room. The ladies just got excited and they just got pumped up. I want you to stay with me, old ladies. I think you're going to enjoy tonight's message. I really do. I think you're going to love everything that I say. You're not going to disagree with a single thing that I say tonight. But tonight, tonight I want to talk to the guys in the room. And specifically, fellas, I want to talk to your view of, your attitude toward, and your treatment of women. And come on. Yeah. Now listen. This is awesome. I love how the ladies love this. This is incredible. This is so, this is good. This is going to be fun. Yep. I'm definitely going long tonight. Okay. Um, and, and here's why I want to talk to the dudes. And let me just make it very, very clear what my goal is. Okay. I want to be very clear. I'm not trying to throw shade tonight. Okay. I'm not trying to hate. I'm not trying to judge. I'm a dude too. Okay. I get it. But let me just be really clear. Fellas, I think we need a wake up call in this area. I think we need a wake up call. And listen, let me just tell you. My goal tonight, my goal tonight, y'all are way too excited. Um, <clears throat> what fellas are y'all hanging out with? That's what we need to talk about. But listen, my goal tonight is not for you to leave here discouraged or upset or frustrated. My goal is that you would leave here inspired to want to treat and view women the way real men should treat and view women. Okay? And listen, tonight's message... Tonight's message, it's really personal for me, right? It's personal for me. I don't have any daughters, okay? Um, I will one day, and whenever she is born, Lord willing, one day, um, she's going to be the most spoiled human being on the face of the planet, okay? I'm okay with that. Uh, but I do have two sisters, and one of them just graduated college a couple years ago, and the other is currently in college at Kennesaw State. No, you can't have her name. Um, and, um, but here, I started thinking as I was preparing for this message, I thought, oh my goodness, the fellas in this room, that age group, are people that could potentially date my sisters. None of y'all are going to date. I'm just talking generally. The age, <laughs> the age group of the people in this room, of the guys in this room, are guys that could potentially date my sisters. And it kind of shook me up a little bit. I'm very protective. Man, me and my brother, we, whenever they started having birthday parties in like, you know, middle school, whenever guys started coming, we used to answer the door with our shirts off and baseball bats, right? Now, look, I'm not jacked, but when my sister's in middle school, even I looked intimidating. You know what I mean? And so I'm very protective. And my brother, he's really protective. And so we're super protective of our sisters. And so I started thinking as I was preparing this message, my goodness, what if a guy in this room started dating my sister? What would I want him to know? How would I want him to view her or treat her? And just forget my sisters for saying, you're going to be dating somebody's sister. You're going to be dating somebody's daughter, fellas. So this conversation is so important. And, and listen, the temptation for you, fellas in the room tonight, is to leave here thinking, well, what well, about the girls? They ain't perfect. Like you just came in, gave me 30 minutes of all about me. What about them? I get that. All right. Listen, girls aren't totally innocent. But guys, come on, be real for a second. Y'all are the ones and we're the ones that set the pace for the relationship. You and I, we're the ones that set the tone. And let's just be real. Girls take our cues from us. And so that's why it's really, really important to have this conversation. And look, fellas, if you are in the room tonight and you're not a Jesus follower, tonight I'm going to go ahead and tell you. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you three things about what Jesus said, what Paul said, and what Peter said about our view and treatment of women. And if you are not a Jesus follower, let me just tell you, and I mean this not sarcastically, I mean this genuinely, you have no reason 
to give what Jesus or Peter or Paul said any validity. Why would you? I get it. It's all good. But here's what I would say. If you're not a Jesus follower in the room, fellas, just be open-minded for a minute. Track with me during the night. I'm really glad you're here. And I'm telling you, if you would just stick with me for just a minute, if you would just kind of track with me throughout tonight's message, I'm telling you, I think you might leave here and think, I'm not really sure what I believe about all this faith stuff. But yeah, I could see what Jesus, Paul, and Peter said. I could see how that could help me date well. I I could see that. So if y'all would just stick with me. Ladies, y'all already got your proverbial pom-poms out, and I think that's going to happen throughout the rest of the message. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, ladies, you are going to love tonight's message. And so we dive in and we jump in. Jesus followers, fellas, if you're a Jesus follower, you and I have been called to a different standard. We've been called to a higher standard. Standard And in our culture, in our world, in our swipe right culture, women are sung about, people, women are rapped about, women are commercialized as, people are projected, um, women are projected, women are written about and commercialized as objects, property, and a commodity. As objects, property, and a commodity. What, what do I mean by that? Well, women are so often projected as object, our culture are so good. Our culture has become so good at taking a woman and pulling out all the emotion and taking out her soul and just viewing her as an object, as something in a commercial, as something to look at, as something to lust after, just merely an object. Our culture is so good at doing that. And, and, a, and, a, and property, right? I mean, y'all see this all the time. Like Culture tells us that a woman's role is to be the helper, the woman's role is to be there to support the man, to be in the house, to cook the dinner, to take care of the kids, to do the laundry. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, and the, the, the man gets upset thinking about his wife going to work. What do you mean you're going to work? You're not supposed to go to work. That's property. Man, I was at a, a T-shirt, uh, not a T-shirt, at a white elephant Christmas party where we gave away T-shirts. That's what I was talking about. My bad. There's the connection. I was at a T-shirt party. Uh, it was a white elephant uh, gift party, and it was all t-shirts. And, and one of the gifts that got opened up, one of the shirts got opened up, and it was about three years ago, and it said in all caps, now woman, go make me a sandwich. Yeah. Now look, we kind of saw that, and everyone got a little uncomfortable. Nobody claimed that one. Um, <laughs> thought it was going to be funny, but that's the message of culture. It's getting sent, and whether you believe it or not, it's getting pushed out there. Man, just the, uh, this past weekend, two weekends ago, our church, um, we've got six campuses in the Atlanta area, and all of our high schoolers uh, from all of our churches did this massive weekend retreat called My Life, and, uh, and I was talking to one of the small group leaders that works at our church, and she was telling me about her time with the senior girls during that weekend, and I was telling her about this message. And she said, hey, one of my senior girls, a girl that's going to be sitting in this seat next year as a freshman. She said, yeah, one of my senior girls told me, yeah, whenever I get a boyfriend, it's like they treat me like I'm their property. A senior girl is feeling that, believing that, experiencing that. Why? Because our high schoolers are being fed these lies. So how much more us as property? And then as a commodity, right? What's a commodity? It's, it's, a, it's a, a thing that you trade. It's a source of commerce. It's a good. It's something you buy, something you use, something when you're done, you get rid of or you trade in and get a new one. And isn't that exactly what our culture tells us to do with women? Take them, use them, do whatever you want with them. When you're done, trade them in, leave them. It doesn't matter. Just go on to the next one. Objects, property, and a commodity. And fellas, I know what you're thinking. I'm not that bad. You're thinking, man, I'm I'm not that mean. So look, this isn't an indictment. Maybe you're not. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt that you're not that bad. But listen, here's why this is so important. Because culture is teaching us this, and this is huge. If you are not aware 
of what culture is teaching you, you will unknowingly adopt what culture is teaching. If you are not aware of what culture is teaching you, you will unknowingly adopt what culture is teaching. And fellas, we're getting inundated with all of these messages all the time through so many different channels, TV, Netflix, social media. It's all over the place, commercials every single day. And so to ignore it would mean that you're going to unknowingly adopt it. And ultimately, cultural messages do this. Cultural messages will impact how we think about women, which will ultimately affect how we treat women. Cultural messages, yeah, you can ignore them, that's not a big deal, but it's going to affect the way that you think, which will ultimately affect the way that you treat women. So this conversation is paramount. And so today, tonight, this higher standard that we're talking about, Jesus, he, he kicked off the conversation, and then Paul joined in, and then Peter joined in. And this new standard that they introduced into the world rocked the first century. In the first century, in the time of Jesus, right, um, things were just as bad, if not worse, for women. And what they introduced, what they introduced as a new view and an attitude toward and a treatment of women was absolutely radical in the first century. And again, let me just be clear, because for Jesus, this was for everybody. As I'm talking about our treatment of women tonight, fellas, I don't mean just people that you date and like. I'm talking about how you treat all women. I'm talking about how you treat your mom. I'm talking about how you treat your sister, your cousin, your friend, the girl that you're not even attracted to, but y'all just been friends since kindergarten. I'm talking about the stranger that you don't even know, but you run into on campus that is a girl. I'm talking about how we view all women. In fact, sidebar for a second, fellas, if you want a really good indicator of how you treat women that you're going to date is how you treat the ones that you don't date. So this is not just a... this is not just a women I date thing. This is everybody. And so Jesus kicks off the conversation. Um, and then before we jump into that, in the first century, in the first century, women were viewed literally as property. They had no rights. They weren't allowed to get any education. They weren't really allowed to be seen in public. In fact, the only like cultural role or social role that they played was to have kids. And that's hardly a role because that's basically by default. Last time I checked, men can't pop any of those out, right? And so Basically, it's just, I'm going to have a kid. you got to stay in the house. You're not allowed to do anything. Men were literally their masters. I mean, women, even prominent ones, were just a couple notches above slaves in the first century. Women were literally viewed as property. In the first century, prostitution was legal. This is crazy. Prostitution was legal. And men started using prostitutes as birth control. They didn't want to go home and have sex with their wives because it, they might have a kid. And if they had more kids, that would mean they'd have to split more of their wealth and property. So they would go have sex with a prostitute, get rid of all that desire, and then go home and be with their wife. In fact, it got so bad. Men stopped marrying. They just stayed single, had sex with prostitutes whenever they felt like it, used them, left them. It happened so much that the Roman Senate on a number of occasions almost passed laws to make marriage a, a law that you had to get married because they did not want the population to die off. In the first century, women were literally treated as a commodity. And then in the first century, women were literally subhuman. They were categorically inferior to men. It was very common in the first century when a, when a girl was born, if, if a baby was born a girl, it was very common for them to be thrown into the river or left on the streets to die. Why? Because they were not seen as valuable as boys. They were objects. And so Jesus bursts onto the scene, and he's the one that kind of lays the foundation. 
And what he taught and what they taught was ludicrous in the first century. It flew in the face of the first century culture. And even though things were probably worse back then, it flies in the face of our swipe right culture as well. But I think it's the answer to our problems, fell. So this is what Jesus, he kicks off the conversation, and he says this in John 13, verse 34. He's talking to his disciples right before he's crucified, and he says, a new command I give you, like this has never been seen before, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, you read that, and we think, yeah, okay, love Everyone, love one another. Yeah, that's just kind of normal. But you've got to remember, in the first century, women were not seen as something or someone to love. And you have to imagine that when Jesus told his disciples this, they were like, hang on, uh, you, mean, uh, you mean women too? Yes, idiot, I mean women too. Jesus didn't say idiot. Everybody, everybody, I mean everyone, especially the women that you are to love every man and every woman as I have loved you. And by this, everyone will know you're my disciples. In fact, we have um, uh, documents who, uh, that uh, people back in the first century that weren't Jesus followers, they were historians and they wrote about what was happening in the first century. And we have documents of them describing how amazing it was to see Jesus' followers in their interactions with each other because they were so kind and they loved each other so well. It was unlike anything they'd ever seen before. And I can't help but think the thing that took them aback the most was how men treated the women because it was unlike anything that had ever been seen before in the first century. In fact, what we know is that as these Jesus-follower churches, as they're kind of getting planted, women flocked to them. Why? because of the way that women were treated. So Jesus kind of lays the groundwork and he lays the foundation and he says, hey, everybody is to be loved as I have loved, including especially the women. And then Paul, the apostle Paul joins the conversation in his letter to the Ephesians and he said this in chapter five, husbands, now again, talking about husbands and wives, this goes to any relationship, the way that we view and treat women. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. That, hey, you are to love your wife. You are to give of yourself. You are to lay down your life, husbands, just as Christ did for the world on the cross. That your love, husbands, that your love, men, for women, is not to be defined by getting. It's not to be defined by what's in it for me. That your love is to be defined by giving. Your love is to be defined by unselfishness. Your love is to be defined by asking the question, what's in your best interest? Now remember, a husband who was seen as a figure of strength, who was the head of the household, who was master over his wife, to lay his life down for his wife gave women an ascribed value that was unseen in the first century. And then Peter must have felt left out. So he joined the party, and he said this in 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. The idea of being considerate, that means to acknowledge and understand needs. To acknowledge and understand needs. In other words, hey, you need to acknowledge and understand the emotional, spiritual, and physical needs of your wife. Again, think about this. Wait, I'm supposed to care about them? Care about what they need? Yes, be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them with respect as the weaker partners. Now, two things here. The idea of respect, that literally means to grant or to assign honor. To grant or to assign honor. Man, I've been watching on Netflix, The Crown. 
It's unbelievable. Y'all need to watch that. It talks all about Queen Elizabeth's life. It's crazy. And the first episode is 10, uh, first season is 10 episodes. We're already done with that. Uh, but one of the coolest scenes in the first season is when Queen, queen Elizabeth first becomes queen. And it's the coronation, and they're crowning her. And they are granting her so much honor, I could feel it through the TV. <laughs> that we're supposed to grant women, fellas, honor. Assign them honor. That they're not down here. They're not even up here. They're up here. And then he says, as the, respect them as the weaker partner. Now, don't let that trip you up, ladies. Weaker does not mean inferior, Okay. What Paul is saying here is literally, emotionally, and physically weaker. Let's talk about this for a minute, right? Emotionally. Women tend to be emotionally weaker than guys, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that, hey, temperament. Guys, we got to be careful what we say, right? Let me give you a perfect example. Man, me and my wife were talking a couple of weeks ago. We're in our apartment, and she looks at me, and she says, hey, Sam, I love you, but you need to start working out. And I looked at her, and I kind of laughed, and I was like, you're right, I need to start lifting a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Now, imagine. (laughs) Imagine I was like, hey, babe, I love you. But you need to start working out. That would not go well for me. Be awful. I would never do that in my right mind. Well, man, it's just emotionally different temperament. I've got to pay attention to that. I've got to be careful with my words. That's something that Paul means. And then physically weaker. Now, ladies, again, don't get all nitpicky. Some of y'all are like, man, I could bench more than my boyfriend. I get that. We ain't. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not, you know, I mean, y'all see him squat. Man, I'll squat him right now. I'm not, y'all. It's not about getting nitpicky. Here's the point. Here's the point that Paul is making. In a culture where being a man was a sign of strength, here's what he's saying to them, and here's what he's saying to you. Men, leverage your strength for the sake of women. Leverage your strength for the sake of your wives, for the sake of women. It was unheard of in the first century. And he says, so respect them as the weaker partners, and, this is huge, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of, of life. What does that mean? We as men are heirs in the sense that we are sons of God. And Peter here is reminding us, guess what? All those women, they are daughters of God. You want to talk about being intimidated by a father? How about God? (laughs) He says, you're not looking at just an object. You ain't looking at some property or a commodity. You are looking at a daughter of your heavenly father. And that should shake you up a little bit. And then Peter ends with this. He says, respect them as the weaker partners and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is so big. I don't fully understand how this works, but this is what I know Peter is saying. That the way you treat God's heaven, the way you treat God's daughters is such a big deal that if you don't treat them with respect, if you mistreat them, it will hinder your intimacy with God. That's how big of a deal this is is. So Jesus said to love. Paul said to sacrifice. And Peter said to honor. Jesus said to love. Paul said to sacrifice. And Peter said to honor. Now, 
I'm not old-fashioned. I'm not, man. I'm only 28. I feel pretty young. I get tired on the basketball court. I'm in a league on Thursday nights, and I get winded on a fast break. But I, I'm, I'm like, I'm with y'all. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm with you. But, but I look at this, and I can't help but think, yeah, this is how you treat women. This is how you date well in the midst of a swipe right culture. This is how you date in a way unlike any other man. This is how you treat women unlike any other man in spite of a swipe right culture. That, fellas, if we could just get this right, if just the ones in this room could start to model for the rest of us, even if you just modeled it to your sons and every generation, we just got better. This would change the game. This would change the landscape of our culture and the health of our relationships, that you would date well, that maybe even after you break up, because you start dating somebody, chances are y'all ain't getting married. It's all good. It ain't going to happen. It's fine. It's okay. But you know what's crazy? When you date like this, you could break up and y'all both would be okay. So Jesus said to love. Paul said to sacrifice. And Peter said to honor. And the reason why this is so important now, fellas, you are not just going to wake up and be good at this. It's not going to be, oh, when I find the one, man, I'm going to start loving her. First off, there's no such thing as the one. We'll talk about that on week four, okay? Um, but yeah, we'll get there. That's going to be real fun. But you're not just going to wake up and start doing this really well. You've got to start practicing it now. It has to start to be a part of who you are now. You've got to pay attention to how you view and how you treat and how you think of women now, so what do I want you to do, fellas? This is where I want you to start. I want you to renew your mind to think differently and decide to behave differently. I want you to renew your mind to think differently. I want to go there for just a minute. Renew your mind to think differently. It all starts in our minds, our view, what we think about when we think about women. And you need to pay attention to what you are consuming. And three, three ideas here. The first, fellas, you need to pay attention to the media that you consume. What TV shows are you watching? you got to pay attention. The TV shows you watch, what messages do they send about women? you got to pay attention to the social media accounts that you follow. How do they portray women? I love Sports Illustrated, and I get Sports Illustrated every couple of weeks whenever it comes in. But whenever I get the swimsuit edition, I immediately throw it away because i got to pay attention to what I'm looking at. When me and Julie are sitting down watching a movie and a sex scene comes on, she'll cover my eyes. Not because we're some prude people, but she just knows it's not good for me. You got to pay attention to the media that you consume. What are you allowing your eyes to see? Second thing, this is a big one. You got to pay attention to the music that you listen to. I don't think this has ever been more relevant than today. You got to pay attention to the music you listen to. Fellas, listen to me. Listen. If you have any music, if you have any music on your Spotify playlist, if you have any artists on your Spotify playlist that regularly refers to women as bitches and hoes, you need to stop listening to that music right now. That if you have any artist that continually refers to women as a bitch or a hoe, you need to stop listening to that artist. And I know what y'all thinking. I know what y'all thinking. Man, Sam, it's just culture. It's just my workout playlist, man. I don't even really hear it, you know. I don't even, I don't even know, man. I'm just lifting, you know. Like, I don't even know what words are coming out of his mouth. You know, like Drake. I don't know, you know. Let me tell you why it does matter. 
History tells us that every time humanity decides to assign a derogatory name to another people group, it does not go well. Because when you refer or when somebody else refers to a woman as a bitch, as a hoe, as a slut, or a whore, you are assigning a derogatory name to a woman that devalues her. And history tells us when that happens, it does not go well for us. In Nazi Germany, you know what Jewish women were considered by Nazis? Whores. And Hitler wanted to kill as many of them as he could. Look in our own country, slavery and the civil rights movement. And we assigned a derogatory name that started with an N to blacks and African Americans. And our country is still trying to rally back from the mess that that made. So history, history tells us this, that when you assign a derogatory name to a person that devalues them, it does not go well. Who are we to say it's any different with women and the music that we listen to? So listen, women are daughters of your heavenly father, and you think it doesn't matter, but I'm here to tell you it absolutely does. So pay attention to the music that you listen to. So we said media, media, we said music, and then the third one, pornography. There are some of you in the room tonight, you need to end your relationship with pornography and erotic imagery. Now look, listen, fellas, I'm not naive. This is not as easy as just like, oh yeah, I'm done with that, I'm gonna throw it away, it's whatever. I believe addiction is real. So if you, real quick, if you want help on how to kick this, we want to help you do that. For the next couple of minutes, I want to tell you why you should come to us so that we can help you do that. Whether you realize it or not, pornography is teaching you something. Ultimately, right, what you want is, is, is a real relationship with a person, an intimate relationship with a person, maybe get married and have really, really great sex. Well, here's what all that pornography does. It actually teaches you, and pornography does this. It teaches you that real bodies aren't good enough, it teaches you that one body isn't good enough, and it's going to teach you that your wife's body won't be good enough either. Now look, you want an intimate relationship, but something that is fake is ruining something that could be real. And look, man, pornography, I'm not saying this lightly. I'm not saying this angry. I just want you to know. That it's not just something that you can do just because you have this desire inside of you. I'm not upset. Nobody is mad. I feel like every guy in this room, including myself, can talk about at some point in their lives when they struggled with this. Especially today when you can pull it up on your phone in three and a half seconds. I just want you to know that it's destructive. In fact, it's like a drug. It literally rewires the neurons in your brain. That literally, the more pornography you watch, it starts to make these, these pathways in your brain. And the more you watch, the wider the pathways get. And the more you need. You know when you're at the beach, and it's been a long day, you're kind of sitting in the beach chair, you get a little tired, you get a little bored, so you start making this massive pile of sand. You don't even know why, but you just kind of keep making it. You know what I'm talking about? And it gets real big. And then you get real bored, and you got your water or any other non-alcoholic beverage. And you start... Um, you start kind of pouring it on, the, on, the, on the, the pile of sand. And eventually what happens is it creates a, a couple different kind of pathways. And the more water you pour, it just makes those same pathways bigger and wider. That's exactly what happens to your brain with pornography. It's like a drug. The more you watch and the more you take in, the more you need and the more variety that you need. It's like a drug. 
In fact, there was an article. This is crazy. A friend of mine told me about an article in Time Magazine. This was the cover of it that came out last summer, um, a magazine. And in Time Magazine, there was an article called Pornography and the Threat to Virility. Now I had to look up what virility meant. I was like, what in the world is that? Um, <clears throat> so I, I looked it up, and virility means a strong sex drive. And so the, the article was essentially titled Pornography and the Threat to a Strong Sex Drive. And what this article in this issue of Time Magazine talked about was how there are men who have taken in and consumed so much pornography that they can't get aroused for the real thing anymore. That there is a guy in this article, it's his personal story. In fact, now he started a nonprofit to try to help guys kick the pornography habit. But he tells his personal story that he had consumed so much pornography. He talks about, when I went to go have sex with a real girl, I could not get aroused to have sex with the real thing. That pornography will literally kill your desire for the thing that you actually want. Or if I could say it this way, with pornography, what's fake will deteriorate your desire for what's real. You know, get termites, man, and termites, what they do is you can't even really tell that they're there until it's too late. You kind of like run into the wall and you're like, wouldn't that turn into the Hulk, you know? And, um, but it's termites and they slowly deteriorate. That's what happens. That what's fake, what isn't real, will ultimately deteriorate your desire for what is real. And I don't want that for you. And your sexual desire is not a bad thing. We're going to talk about sex next week, so y'all need to come back and hear Matt talk about sex. It's going to be an awesome conversation. Um, but your sexual desire is a good thing. It is a God-given thing. But we've got to have the foresight, fellas. We've got to have the foresight to understand that we're jeopardizing the thing that we actually want by fulfilling that desire with something that is so you've got you've to figure out. I hope I convinced you why. If you want help on how, come see us. We want to help. So you've got to renew your mind the way you think. So you've got to think about um, the media that you watch, the music you listen to, and pornography. And then we've got to decide to behave differently. Fellas, every single one of y'all can leave this room tonight and decide to be more of a gentleman. You really can you can decide, I'm going to start treating all women in my life differently. It's the little things, man. If you're on campus walking into the student center and a girl is coming in behind you, open the door for her, even if you don't know her. Just do it. Listen, if you're on a date, open the door for her on the car. Go do that. Go around and open the door for her. Fellas, if you are on a bus, if you're on the school transit bus and you've got a seat... Get up and let her sit down. I'll never forget, man. I was at UGA, and I remember the first time I did it, I was kind of nervous. I was like, man, she's going to think I'm trying to get with her, you know? And, and, but I was like, man, I'm going to get up. I'm going to do it. So I got up, and she thanked me and sat down. And would you know, before we got to the next stop, two other dudes had done the same thing. Fellas, get up out of your seat and let her sit down. Just do it. It's the little things. Guys, when you are talking to a girl, look her in the eyes. Guys, we think we're slick. They know when we're looking at their chest. It is so obvious. It is so obvious. Look her in the eyes. Look her in the eyes. When you are walking around campus, don't give the girl the up-down. Don't give it that you know. Don't give the girl the up-down that you don't know. Man, you got to bounce your eyes. Look straight. Look at your phone. If you got to walk around campus like this, man, do whatever. I'm going to honor you. 
And I'm going to honor you. I might die in the process, but I'm going to honor you. You got to practice. I know it's funny and we joke about it, but it's you got to practice. You have to practice being a gentleman and honoring women. And every single one of y'all can decide to do that starting tonight. So you got to renew your mind to think differently and just decide. Let's just man up and choose to behave differently. And then just a last thought for everybody in the room. Ladies, I know y'all had your fun. Now this is kind of for everybody. For some of you, the best decision that you could make during the course of this series, and let me just, this is going to sound crazy. This is going to sound insane. But for some of you, ladies included, the best decision that you could make at some point during the course of this series is to say, I'm going to take one year off from dating. Now, some of y'all be like, what? Does this dude smoke? Like, what? A month, maybe, but a year? That's 365 days. Maybe if it was leap year, you know, like, what, what, you know? Seriously, though, one of the best decisions that you can make during the course, don't, not sporadically, not like, oh, I'm going to do it tonight and not really think about it, but to go to your phone when you decide and go to the date next year, go to this date next year, and then put in there as a reminder, start dating again. Some of y'all just need a year to focus on you. Fellas, some of y'all need a year to just kind of change the way you view women. Some of y'all need a year to kind of kick that habit, to get over that pornography, to change the way you think, and ultimately change the way you behave, view, and treat women. Ladies, some of y'all need a year to become secure with who you are, to, to fully believe that your worth is not wrapped up in a relationship but it is fully wrapped up and fulfilled in a Savior. Some of y'all need, ladies, a season when you don't have a guy and you need to grow and learn to be okay with that and to be confident in who you are. So listen, one year could do some of y'all wonders and it would be huge and you're probably going to meet like the person of your dreams after day three. Just be like, hey, can you text me in 362 days? <laughs> but I'm telling you, listen, I'm telling you, if you do it, things will change. God will work in your heart, and your future girlfriend or boyfriend or maybe even your future spouse will be thankful for the person that you have become. So, fellas, back to you. Let's do it. Come on. Let's man up. Let's start to love, sacrifice, and honor. What if you guys were the ones that started to change the landscape of dating in whatever circle of influence you start finding yourself in? If you've got some friends that weren't here, let them listen to this podcast. Y'all have a conversation about it and figure out how to be different. And guys, I'm not trying to like give y'all like a way to like trick girls into dating you, but listen. Y'all start treating women like that, you're going to be a rare breed in a world that is dying for men like that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, ball's in your court, fellas. And our hope for you 
is that you would choose to do something with it and choose to begin to step into the man that God has called you and I to be. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've spoken into this area. Thank you that you've got nothing but grace and love. Thank you that you've got nothing, for, uh, nothing but grace for every guy in this room that feels like they've messed it up. Thank you that you've got nothing but love and grace that restores and redeems for any guy in here that thinks that there's nothing that they can do. Thank you that you are a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And I pray, Lord, that for every guy in this room, you would give them the courage. You would give them the courage to ask difficult questions. You would give them the courage to start stepping into the person, into the man that you have created them and called them to be. And I pray that the men in this room, the men in this very room tonight at Buckhead Church, would maybe be the ones who would start being a light and transforming the way that men treat women in whatever sphere of influence they find themselves in. We love you, and it is in the matchless name of Jesus we pray.